I saw that there's everyone is interested in the benefit. Free travel, who isn't interested in that, right? So how could I make that easier? And what we kind of came up with it was an integrated approach to travel hacking and also just managing your credit cards. Welcome to The Fi Show, where you get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. All right, guys, and welcome back to another episode of The Fi Show. And I'm here with my co-host, Justin. What's up, man? Oh, not much, man. So, Justin, today we just have one of the most interesting podcasts we've had to date because you and I are so huge into the travel hacking, travel rewards space. And before we dive into the episode, Justin, I'd like you to talk about some of the things that you've done lately to just really cash out on those points and take advantage of those cars to the fullest. Yeah. So last week I had a little business trip to DC and I kind of was like, how much can I take advantage of a little trip like this? And so what comes along with the American Express Platinum card or the Chase Sapphire Reserve, which I have both of, um, is something called the Priority Pass. And most people think of these cards, these uh, Priority Passes, as something you use to get in these little lounges that have like finger foods and, you know, maybe alcohol. And But it's starting to expand to be way more than that. So now they actually have restaurants that are on board. Boston has two. DCA has two. And so what I did is I actually I ate at both of them, plus I stopped by the American Lounge, on the way out of Boston. And then I check into my hotel, obviously, diamond status at the Hilton, get some more free food. Then on the way out of DCA, I take uh, me and my coworkers out to eat. Because if you have a guest with you at these restaurants in the Priority Pass, you get $56 worth of credit. If you're by yourself, it's $28. So I take them out to eat, land in Boston, hit up both lounges again, these restaurant lounges, get all this food to go, plus stop at the American Lounge, get some food to go. All in all, in 20 hours, I had $252 worth of free food, all because of travel rewards. That's insane. (laughs) And we have some of the pictures of that food in our Facebook group. Justin literally had like a whole table filled with food that he got for free. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That's just what I got home with. So that that lasted uh, me and the girlfriend all weekend. And so, uh, you know, I shared the wealth a little bit. I took a a few friends out to eat with some of that. But uh, definitely, I mean, you're thinking it's only a 20-hour trip. And so one more thing I want to note before we kind of dive into this podcast is the new Southwest deals. And these card bonuses are just absolutely insane. So Justin, we were chatting before this. There's the $69 per year annual fee card, $99. And what's the card you have? So the one I have is the uh, the $149 one. And so the biggest difference between the two is kind of the additional perks. So all three of them, you get 30,000 points plus some anniversary points, plus the companion pass, which is the huge thing. The difference with like the $150 one is you get like $75 credit towards Southwest every year. And I think there's and there's some other perks that maybe we can link to in the show notes. But the companion pass is the real jewel here. And so for people who don't know the companion pass, say Justin was my companion, I can book a flight with Southwest points and I can just bring Justin along for literally no extra charge whatsoever. So say it's we're both flying out of Boston. Boston to LA is say 20,000 Southwest points round trip. It's just 20000 just for me, and I can bring Justin for absolutely free. You can do this with your spouse, with your friends, with your kids. It's just such a flexible and awesome rewards card. So hop on that deal while it lasts. Yeah, and it's not just limited to using points. You can also book flights with cash and get someone on there for free. You just pay like the taxes and fees, and then um, 
I think it's important to note that another stipulation with a card is it is kind of geared more towards like a single person that is your companion. You can swap it once and then swap it back again. But then I think that's it. So you can't just every time you fly, pick a different person. So put a little thought into it when you pick that person for your companion pass. But Justin, without further ado, let's bring Anik into the show. So I came to the U.S. when I was four, literally on a lottery. My dad won this diversity lottery program. Uh, and so I came to the U.S. at, at four. He didn't speak English, but you know, when, when you're that young, it doesn't really matter. And then we moved to first to North Carolina because that's where my uncle lived. And then my dad moved to New York to kind of establish himself for a couple months. And then we moved to New York. And so we lived in this one bedroom of a three bedroom apartment that we shared with two other families. So I would say we had a very humble <laughs> state. <laughs> and so I kind of knew like, you know, growing, especially in my childhood that you know, we, didn't, we didn't have a lot of money and money was, was pretty valuable. And so as I saw kind of my parents working a lot, I mean, I, I rarely saw my dad because he was always working. And I saw that my mom would kind of make a lot of sacrifices for me to kind of, you know, make sure that I was always kind of taken care of. I always had, you know, new clothes and things to play with and things like that. So I was like, always wondering, like, what can I do to kind of contribute to the family? Um, and so I had a family friend that built websites and he had this, I think like a hip hop blog, <laughs> really random. Yeah. And he would make like 50 bucks off of it every month. And I was like, that's, that's a good amount of money. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> 50 bucks. You know, when you're, when you're like 11, 12 years old, 50 bucks a month is pretty solid. And so I was like, you know, maybe, maybe I could do something like that. And so I just started learning HTML and CSS uh, and I realized I was, you know, was decent at it. And I saw I could build better websites and a lot of the websites that existed there. Now, this is like, I don't know, like more than like 15 years ago. So this is like really shitty websites. <laughs> and so um, the first thing I did was like I, I reached out to my middle school and said, hey, do you mind if I like redesign the website? And the principal was like more than excited. Just like, yeah, sure. <laughs> like, we don't have to pay you and you're going to make this new website for us. And so that gave me some opportunity to kind of experiment. And she ended up actually getting compliments from other middle school principals and other counties. And she, and then she got me on the paper because she was so happy about it. And I was like, you know, I think I could probably charge people money for this. Um, <laughs> And so I started my company. And when I say I started my company, I basically mean I opened up a website and I said I was a company. <laughs> so I put <laughs> you know, instead of saying I was this 14-year-old kid doing this, I just said, you know, we everywhere. And, you know, put like stock images of like business people. <laughs> <laughs> I really fronting it. And, you know, the first couple of months, I didn't really get anything. But eventually, like I, I bid on a project. And I won. It was like a small project, but you know, I put a lot of effort into it. It was, it, you know, it came out really good. And on the on the next project, it was like it was an accounting firm. They had this bid out, but they hadn't accepted any bid from any company. And so I, I just put in a bid, and I was like, here, you know, I did this middle school website, <laughs> and I did this other website. And the guy was like, this is phenomenal, <laughs> and he paid me two thousand dollars to build a website. And then it kind of just went on from there. And so it's, it was kind of like these really, really small successes that eventually, you know, I think the, the largest project I had was about $19,000. 
Um, uh-huh. And this is kind of working solo and, you know, not really having like a technical mentor or a business mentor, kind of learning everything along the way. But yeah, it was just, it was just a lot of really, really small steps. And so I would say to kind of anyone who's thinking about, can I be successful as an entrepreneur? Can I make some money off of it? A 14-year-old kid got much older people to give him tens of thousands of dollars building <laughs> websites. So you could probably do it too. <laughs> and was your, were your parents involved in this at all? Or were you just kind of doing this under the radar? You know, my for a very long time, my parents thought, I, or actually my dad wasn't really sure what I did, but he, he kind of trusted me. My mom wasn't very sure. She thought that I was doing something illegal because she's like, how are you getting all <laughs> this money? You know, like, it's it's like, oh, yeah, you know, I've got like $5,000. I was like, what? How? Like, what are you doing? Is everything legal? It's like, yeah, it's, it's all legal. <laughs> yeah, so they, so they actually had no idea. So I'm curious because this is a common thread that Justin and I have seen with a lot of our other guests. And when you come from humble beginnings, or you come from a forced frugal background. Do you think that played like a huge part in you wanting to maybe earn a lot more money than all of your 14-year-old classmates? Because I can almost guarantee you that nobody else is making $19,000 building websites. (laughs) I I think probably there's a factor to it, but I think you can't just take anecdotes, right? Because I think a lot of the people that have come from humble beginnings and become kind of, you know, moderately successful or, or successful, they stand out. Right. So if you already have someone that's already really wealthy and they're well connected and when they do something that's kind of, you know, the same thing I was doing, it really wouldn't stand out. Like if, if my you know parents were like web developers and they showed me how to do it and I was able to get projects purely from them, it really wouldn't stand out. So I think there's a there's a bias to it and kind of the stories you kind of hear about. And then when you look at the kind of the broader picture of it you know, you, you don't have as much mobility as you would think, right? There is a lot of people that, you know, when they do grow in poverty, they aren't, you know, being really successful. They kind of end in, in sticking into poverty. So, you know, I, I think for me, it probably played a factor, but I think in an aggregate level, I don't think, you know, it, it's like if you are already in like a nice middle-class situation that you can't be successful. So I, I think it's just, it just stands out more and you, so you notice it more. And so through high school, at the end of it, how much money did you end up actually making? Yeah, it was about close to 50000 A big chunk of it, about 20000 was really on advertising, primarily on Google AdWords. I don't think Facebook had really come out or they were, they were very new. And so like Facebook marketing wasn't a big thing. It was, it was all Google. Yahoo was horrible. I spent a lot of money on <laughs> Yahoo and, and didn't get a single project from it. So I know why they failed. (laughs) (laughs) And so I guess just for frame of reference, so what year was this? Like when you were 14 building these websites? Oh man, that's, uh, let's see. So 2000, I think 2005 is is when I started. And it was pretty active throughout high school. Did a little bit in college, but the college, you know, it kind of got harder to kind of balance it. So it really kind of died down in, in college. So what made you decide to go to college? I mean, I would think as a kid coming in, already making that kind of money in high school, did you not just think I'm going to keep growing this or what was the drive to go to college? Oh yeah, exactly. I, I, so I had this client who loved my work I mean, he was a really wealthy guy, he had started multiple businesses and he would always, every business he would start, he would kind of bring me on to do like his branding and his websites, web applications, a lot of different things, anything technical. I was like his whiz kid. That's uh, he literally called me that. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I like, I went to him and I was like, Hey man, 
can you loan me $50,000? I want to, I was like, I want to go hire some people and I go, I want to go expand this. And he was like, I trust in you. I believe that you can kind of go build this stuff out. I don't think you can go and find, you know, and hire people that's going to do this. You don't have that kind of skills yet. And he was completely right. Like I really didn't have it. And so going to college, I initially thought I was just going to do CS because, you know, that's what I was good at. I realized that I really knew nothing about management, right? So I think there's a big step from going from doing things yourself to starting to hire people and, and actually building a company rather than just, you know, you know things that you're kind of doing. Uh, and so I, I really needed to learn that. And then that's kind of what I wanted to go to college for. And so you go to college for management. And so during those four years, are you still doing kind of web design stuff? Are you getting internships in management or just what were your experiences while you were in school? Yeah. So I initially, you know, just come up with different concepts that I was like, you know, so I went to this uh, magnet program in high school related to medical sciences. And so I interned at a hospital and kind of being like uh, South Asian, my parents wanted me to be doctors. And <laughs> I, when I did the hospital you know, tour, I was like, I don't want to be a doctor. But healthcare IT is pretty interesting. So, uh, so I came up with this like concept for like a better healthcare management program. And I came, like, uh, did like a mock and, and talked to like the CEO of this, like the smaller like healthcare staffing company. Um, and then took it to this incubator program at Georgia Tech. And he was like, this is, this is nice. There's no way you can execute this. And I was like, oh. you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it was this thing of like, uh, my visions were way beyond what I could actually kind of do. And it took me a couple years of like, just coming up with different concepts of like, oh, here's a great idea. Can I execute this? Uh, probably not. And so in, it was kind of in my junior year that I decided to ultimately look for internships and got an offer at like Capital One, really enjoyed it. But, you know, I wanted to kind of do one more try and seeing if I could start a company right out of school and worked on a project kind of my senior year. And we came very close to, I think, potentially starting it. But we realized to be successful, we would have to go without really much of an income for a year. There was no guarantee that we're going to succeed. There were a lot of uphill battles for it. So we saw an opportunity, but we weren't, you know, we weren't in the right position to kind of do it. And so then I was like, you know, I'm going to go back to this again. I'm going to start another company later, but I'm going to get a little bit more experience. And so went into management consulting to kind of really build that experience and also to build, you know, some capital. So I actually had the freedom to kind of do this later. What was that business that you decided to kind of give up on there at the end of your senior year? Yeah. So that business was a learning management platform. And so the software that we were using at Georgia Tech was kind of an in-house program, really sucked. It still sucks. They still use the same thing. And the, the leading company at the time, I think, was Blackboard. And so we, we kind of looked at this space. It was pretty much monopolized. You know, it was like Blackboard and I think a few other players. And because they were selling to kind of, you know, administrators at, at universities, it wasn't really geared towards students. It wasn't a good experience for students or for professors. And so we came up with a really novel concept of how this could work and had like this broad vision of it. But as we started talking to different universities, uh, particularly kind of deans and, you know, IT people within these universities who actually buy the software, we realized that there's a very long selling cycle, right? So 
you're going to talk to a group, they're going to form some kind of committee if they're interested, and it will probably be you know, eight months before they decide to ultimately implement your solution, right? And so you're not getting any revenue during that period. And so it was something that you would have to forego money for a while until you know you 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 had that pipeline. Once you had that pipeline, it was a good business. But until until you had that, it was it was hard, and we didn't really see us being able to kind of execute that. And and investors are are generally not interested in kind of investing in fresh graduates in a, in a business where there's existing you know players that have very dominant market share. So as this business kind of fails and you see no future for it. And you kind of grudgingly crush your inner entrepreneur for a little bit and you go work at Accenture. And so I just like to hear about what those few years were like. And I know that while you were there, you kind of discovered a passion that I'm really passionate about, travel rewards. And (laughs) that's kind of led you into your current business. So could you just talk about your time at Accenture and how that led you into travel hacking and travel rewards? Yeah. So on my first project, so people who are kind of unfamiliar with kind of management consulting, you typically have multiple projects. And you'll you'll have external clients, and you'll go to a client, you know, to usually in a different state, sometimes in a different country, have a lot of business expenses. They all get reimbursed, but generally, you know, you're incurring these business expenses. So on my first project, my manager was like, you know, you're going to get all of these business expenses. You should get some rewards. And at the time, I just had uh, one one credit card. I think it was just like a Discover student card, and. I thought, okay, you know, I don't really know about credit card rewards and then didn't know how valuable they could be. And so in when he kind of told me this, I looked it up and I was like, wow, you could you could get a lot of points and, and these points are really valuable and they're really flexible in what you can do with it. And so I started building out some, you know, basic financial models of like what credit cards you could use. I was like, okay, well, I could have this card for this type of expense and I can have this card for this type of expense. And I could have this card for this type of expense. And, you know, I'd, I'd set reminders when revolving categories would change. I would, you know, cycle cards over, you know, once a year had passed. It's like, what cards have an annual fee and what am I not using? And so I started becoming very diligent about it. And it, it almost just became a lifestyle. It wasn't something I really thought about because, again, growing up with limited means, I didn't like waste. And so every time I saw someone, you know, used... The, the wrong credit card <laughs> because it was like oh my god you bought all this grocery without a blue amex preferred you're losing six percent on this <laughs> now are you sitting there using like a are you, are you throwing like labels on these cards you just got to memorize are you pulling out like an app in your phone like how are you keeping those cards straight for that exact situation like where you walk up to something and it was just ingrained in me you know it just i kept up with it it was just like it was just something you just knew just something you memorized as part of you like, so, you know, it got to the point where it was kind of difficult to kind of manage it. And so I was like, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be nice to have an app for this? But yeah, it was, it was very, a big part of who I was and, and, you know, ended up getting, I think, you know, since, since starting it, I think about $20,000 in rewards. Wow. And so something that you shared with us, actually two crazy techniques that I really liked. One is the hotel one. And the other one is the, what you call double dipping on sales. So I think that will just show how much you know about this space and will kind of lead into your next venture. So could you talk about those two crazy techniques for a little bit? Yeah. So one of the things that hotels would often do is they give you a welcome bonus. And sometimes you would get, 
you know, they'd have special offers for welcome bonuses. And so, you know, if you checked in between, you know, these from this month to this month, then they would give you a bonus on top of your welcome bonus. And so one of the things I would do is because I was staying in hotels a lot, I would book alternating hotels and sometimes they would they'd be really close to me. And so I literally just, there was this uh, Aloft and an Element Hotel and I would book you know, the ALF one night, the Element the other night, and just literally walk between the hotels and get all of these extra welcome bonuses. <laughs> and you know, it doesn't seem like a lot, but when you do it consistently, it adds up an enormous amount of value. And then kind of using it, so that's kind of where the discounts come into play, is when you're trying to find a, a good sale, oftentimes they, they like to put something that this promotion can't be used with anything else. Well, a lot of the credit cards have their own discounts. And so what you can do is you can buy a uh, gift card, let's say a $100 gift card for 80 bucks or, you know, 20% off for this particular store, right? And then apply it. And so essentially you're getting that exclusive discount that the retailer doesn't expect you to get any other promotions from, plus you're getting another bonus from the credit card side. And so it ends up being like this amazing deal that's really easy to do. But it's just a, it's something a lot of people don't think about uh, or know about. That is awesome. <laughs> I've actually, there, I knew one guy, you know, in the uh, in the military who was really up on that stuff. And he would do the same things. Like, we couldn't use our own credit cards to book the hotels, but you could still get the hotel points. And so he was trying to hit the minimum number of stay bonus, and he would do the same thing. So he's like a Hilton guy. So you go from one Hilton hotel across the street to the next Hilton hotel, and he's just doing this kind of triangle thing between three hotels to hit the, the minimum stay bonus. And which is another thing we talk about. It's crazy. Like people just don't know about things. Another kind of military specific thing is that military members get all the chase cards and Amex cards with no annual fee. No matter if it, it could be Amex platinum chase Sapphire reserve, like the $450 cards, you get those for free. And so it's amazing to me how many people don't at least have one of them. If not, a lot of them because they come with all those, you know, every year you get, whether it's like $250 in airline credits or, you know, $15 a month for Uber, you get all that stuff. Even if you don't use it, you just open it up and keep it. And they're not paying the annual fees because they're military and they get all this stuff for free. But yet I've told some military people this and they're just like, ah, I don't know. I mean, I don't really need the card. It doesn't matter if you need the card. Just open it up and get the rewards. So uh, there's definitely still a lot of people out here who could be educated on the power of these credit card rewards. Justin, I just want to hop in there and just talking about all this stuff. A common theme to me, Anik, is that you see a problem and you go and solve it. So you saw these terrible websites and you're like, you know what? I can make a website that's 50 times better. You saw that Blackboard wasn't intuitive. I can make that better. And now, as we're talking about all this credit card stuff, I'm sure people's heads are spinning at 3,000 miles an hour trying to figure out how they can optimize and just figure out all this stuff. So like Justin said, I'd love if you could kind of just jump into that app because I'm interested to hear how much power it can give us. I wanted to build a Max Rewards app, one, to make it easier for me, but two, to kind of give this benefit to other people. Now, you can, you know, you can share travel hacking to other people and when you but when you tell them kind of the effort that they need to take it's like ah you lost me you lost me <laughs> right and, and it's not that hard it's just it's, it's just not something that people are are really interested in doing and so i saw that there's everyone is interested in the benefit free travel who isn't interested in that right so how could i make that easier and 
what we kind of came up with was an integrated approach to travel hacking and also just managing your credit cards. So the way it works is you connect your existing accounts. We analyze your historical transactions and figure out how you spend your money in different categories. And you can adjust it if you know you're going to spend a little bit more on travel next year. Then you can kind of set your preferences. Uh, actually, Justin, because of your suggestion, we actually put in the active duty military. And so if you check that option, uh, <laughs> we, we set all the annual fees for the respective cards. We did the research uh, to zero. I can't wait to get all the royalties from that. Awesome. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> and so once, once you do that, that all kind of goes into our algorithm. And the way our algorithm works is really, really unique. It's, it's not like, you know, just a, a quiz that shows, you know, here are some good credit cards for you or some rules of thumbs. What we do is we simulate millions of different card combinations over time. So imagine you have two cards, right? How would you use those two cards in one month, right? Maybe you use card A for groceries, you use card B for travel, use card A for dining, and we'd factor in things like limits and revolving categories, right? And we look at the next month. And we continue to do this for 24 months, calculate out the rewards and the fees, right? And we do it for essentially every other combination that's out there. And so the recommendation we give, it's essentially mathematically looking at the universe of options and saying, what is the best option for you? And we have some safeguards in place so that you know, we don't recommend any cards that's going to have a negative ongoing rate, meaning that you're actually going to get less in rewards than you're going to pay in fees. Right? And if you're unhappy with any of the recommendations, right, you can always remove any card that you don't want, and then we can run the recommendation algorithm again. Uh, but we didn't kind of stop there because another big challenge that people have is it's like you have all of these cards, it's actually falling through and executing it. And so we actually put it on an action plan. We use, you know, incorporate Chase 524. So it's actually designed so that, you know, you, you don't actually hit that. We, we front load the Chase cards first. Once you open a card, we have a sign-up bonus tracker so that, so we make sure that you actually get your sign-up bonus. And if you're kind of, you know, getting close to the end of the, the time period and you haven't hit it, we'll give you suggestions for how to do it. Once you have all of your cards open, we have a feature that shows you the best card to use in any location. So this is the thing I used to do mentally uh, that I now don't have to do mentally. So wherever you go, it'll show you the best card to use. And finally, to kind of make this all more manageable, we actually built our own integrations with top issuers so that you can pull in not only your spend information, that's kind of what you can get pretty much everywhere, but also your reward and credit score from all of your different issuers. I just want to hop in real quick and say, if anyone was listening and wondering like, what's the Chase 524 rule? That's the where some, you know, some banks have a limit of five credit cards in the last 24 months. Some don't care. So Chase does. That's what he meant by front loading those. You'll get the five Chase cards first before you move on to somebody like Amex who doesn't care. And I just wanted to clear that up for anybody listening. Yeah, there's so many nuances. I'm sure you could talk a lot better than we can, Anik, but I know like Amex, you can only get one bonus per lifetime with some of their cards or all their cards. I'm not even sure. But yeah, there's just so many different nuances. And so does Max Rewards kind of track that and let you know, like, if you cancel this card, you can never get this bonus again? Is that part of the action plan? Yeah. So there are just, as you said, there's just so many nuances. And so what we're kind of doing is we're covering the biggest things that you need to be concerned about. And then over time, we'll continuously add more and more and more to kind of get it to that system where it's, it's almost perfect. 
But, you know, starting from the beginning, it, it's kind of the, the Pareto principle, kind of dealing with the biggest issues first. And then as we get greater adoption then adding more and more. Another thing you mentioned was the credit scores. And I think that's a big fear a lot of people have. You know, they don't want to start opening up a bunch of credit cards because they believe it's going to hurt their credit score or they're afraid that they're going to get a bunch of cards open and lose control of which one has balances or just do something to really hurt their credit. So I'd like if you could talk a little bit more about that whole credit score paradigm. Yeah. So that, that's kind of a big misconception that a lot of people have is that opening up credit cards actually hurts your score, particularly for young people who have limited credit history. As long as you're responsibly paying off your cards, it actually helps it because the way it works is, you you know, if you look at the factors, when you open a card, you're getting a credit inquiry that has a small negative, right? But you're increasing your credit limit, right? Which will decrease your credit utilization, right? That has a positive effect. And as you make payments on your cards, 35% of your credit score is based on your payment history, right? You're adding valuable, positive information that's going to help it. And so from my personal experience, when I started, you know, with just kind of one card and then adding a bunch, it went from kind of the low 700s to the high 700s in just a couple of years. And I've seen that for many, many people is that it generally does go up. And if you already have excellent credit, then kind of doing this will generally keep it about the same. It's not going to drastically decrease it or drastically increase it. And so something I'm curious about, well, I kind of know a lot about this because I am super big nerd about travel hacking, but why is travel hacking points more valuable than getting like a cashback card? Because, you know, people are like gloating about their 2% cashback. They're like, oh, I got 2% cashback at the grocery store, but travel rewards are so much more powerful. So I'd like if you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a couple big reasons for it. One it's uh, it's not taxable, so you know it's it's kind of you're getting a lot more value from it than just from you know if you, if you see like a thousand dollars in kind of rewards, it's you know it's almost like getting you know thirteen or fourteen hundred dollar bonus because you don't have to pay the taxes on it. The other thing is that when you have it in in a reward currency, there's not this uh, built-in kind of uh, when when you use cash on anything, there's almost like this buyer's remorse. It's like ah, I could have progressed <laughs> towards my FI goals. But I'm instead going on this vacation, right? When you have points and you can't, you can't invest points, right? And so the only thing you can do is really go on vacations, right? And so you don't have that buyer's remorse from it. And you probably feel really smart about it because you're getting something for free. And then the kind of why it's points are particularly more valuable than cash and you know, could be is really the opportunity to get like a really good valuation. So often, you know, if the price of something goes up, right, then you have to kind of reimburse the same amount of cash. But the points usually stay kind of stagnant. And so if you have this massive peak where the prices of things are really kind of high, you can often get points for a really, really good valuation because they're, they usually don't fluctuate as much as the cash value of things. And in that same realm, I know a lot of times, you know, you get the points for like I had my house fire, ended up with 2.4 million Hilton points. I can take that and just use it for hotels or I could try to transfer it. Does the Max Reward app kind of show you, hey, if you traded in for American Airlines points or if you traded in for Amazon points, like which trade gets you the most value versus just keeping them in Hilton? Does it get into that sort of stuff or is it like trading from one partner to another? Yeah, so that's that's kind of our phase two. And so what we're doing right now is about 
with our first version is points accumulation, really showing people how to accumulate the points they need. And then the second thing that we're going to be doing kind of later next year is about redemption and, and not just making it saying, you know, here's what you could do, but automating that process, right? So I recently went to a trip to Japan, obviously all using points. <laughs> um, and I spent a couple of days, you know, I mean, not like the entire day, but, you know, a couple hours each day trying to figure out what is the best way to kind of book these flights, book these hotels. And you can use chart, you know, things like Award Hacker that, you know, shows you kind of the best redemption options, but the big challenge is availability. And so what we want to do is instead of making it so that, you know, here are some good options, right? And then you spending hours to check if it's available, we want to make it so if you want to go to, let's say, Japan, you know, from wherever you are, right, and you kind of give us a date range, we can automate this, right? It's, it'll be like a kayak for rewards. And essentially, we think it's going to save people enormous amounts of time or give them enormous amounts of value on, on their points, yeah, that's huge. I know people who hire out people to travel hack for them. So you're just completely eliminating that middleman. <laughs> Way to kill jobs, Anik. Way to kill jobs. <laughs> <laughs> and so I know your app is in public beta right now. So what exactly does that mean? Like what types of functionality? I know you said that you're not doing redemption quite yet, but so what can you do on the app right now if I were to download it on my phone today? So if you were to download it on your phone, you can kind of connect your account. So as you said, we, you know, we're building these integrations directly with issuers. And so we're not going through another provider that many of our competitors kind of use. And so we're starting off with the, the six biggest and you can get the card recommendations. The sign up bonus tracker is actually going to be available pretty soon. Uh, so a lot of the core functionality is going to be there, but in terms of, you know, it's full stability or how polished it is, it's still not there yet. And so the way that we're managing this process is that we're selectively including people. So we're starting off with the people that are kind of the most interested, the most passionate about this. We're getting them to test it. And the inputs that they're providing help us shape the app and making it better. And as we get better and better, we're including more and more people. And the overall goal is by the end of kind of February and March, the app is in a state where pretty much everyone can use it. Right now in this, you know, public beta testing, like everything is still very encrypted. Everything is still very secure. So there's no kind of concerns about this being, you know, a potentially risky to try. It's more of the functionality and the, the refinement of it. And is it true that the Fasho listeners have an inside track to getting access to this? Yes, yes. And so <laughs> we'll be looking through all the people that submit the form. And so if you put the Fasho on our access code, you will get priority access. We'll make sure that you're kind of on the top of the list and you can try the app a lot sooner than everyone else. That's awesome, Anik, because I'm sure we have a lot of ultra optimizers, a lot of travel hackers, a lot of people who just want to get the most value out of life. And so how can they help Max Rewards? Like, are you going to be asking for feedback or is there a form they can fill out or just what is the process there? Just by using the app, we get valuable information. So when, when something crashes, we, we kind of get alerts and it's, the information is kind of logged. And so that allows us to kind of understand the different cases where things break and, and then we can kind of fix them. Feedback definitely helps. So kind of, as I mentioned, Justin kind of saying like, oh, you know, military personnel can get the American Express Platinum with a $0 annual fee. Well, we didn't know that. Right. And so kind of being able 
to contribute any knowledge that you have, to contribute like how we can make the app better, anything like that helps, right? So there are forums, there's mo- really multiple ways. I mean, you can just literally, you can shake the app and give us uh, feedback. A form will show up and you can kind of put in your comments. We have, uh, when you actually get the app, you get an email with our emails as well as, as a, you know, a formal form to put everything in. So there's a lot of different options to actually submit feedback. But pretty much anything helps. Uh, it's, it's, it's really about, we want to make, our primary goal right now is really to make an app that creates a lot of value in your life. And so as you're kind of using it and you see opportunities for improvement, let us know. And when we're you know, putting it into our backlog and prioritizing you know, different things, so it's, it's not something that maybe is coming the next week, but we're factoring in every piece of the feedback and putting that into our work plan. And so how much does it cost to use the app, Anik? Yeah, it's completely free. I think the the core functionality of everything, of, of getting the, the card recommendations and being able to track your rewards, credit support, that's all going to be free. People are wondering, how do we make money? Well, at some point, we, we expect that we'll have partnerships with credit card companies and, and they'll pay us a commission. And then the, the re- reward redemption part is something that we'll, we'll kind of offer as a premium feature. Uh, just because it's it's very kind of unique and I mean it would just save an enormous uh, amount of time and money and we we think it's you know it's just kind of worth charging for. And you mentioned the feedback kind of now before the app is launched, but do you envision trying to create a community or have a discussion board type situation where, like I know earlier this year you had the Mercedes Benz Amex Platinum that was getting dissolved. You know, people could get on there and say, hey, man, I got a, I got a notification that they're getting rid of the Mercedes-Benz MX Platinum. Get one before it's gone kind of thing. You know, it's another chance to get another Platinum. Are you going, Do you envision having some type of community aspect of this where people who have that information like that can get that out to everyone? Yeah, exactly. So we're creating a Facebook group. We're taking a little bit longer to kind of publicize everything. Uh, so I'll kind of send you the links as, as it kind of gets available. I think... As we, so we've been very much focused on building the product out. And now that it's actually to a stage where we can share it with people, our next kind of focus is to kind of build that community and to kind of get the word out and, and to start getting everyone who's interested, you know, to kind of together to kind of contribute to different ideas. Sweet. Well, I'm excited, man. And I think the listeners are definitely going to be excited too. We're kind of part of building this awesome Max Rewards program. And just so you guys know, Anik is not some joker, not some schmuck. He won with his team the FinCon startup competition. And there were some other awesome companies out there. And you guys took home the gold. Yeah, yeah we were very, very humbled by that. There were a lot of really good companies there. So, you know, we feel lucky about that. I think it was the the pep talk that me and Cody gave you that, you know, it was, <laughs> that's, it had to be what it was. And so, Anique, if people want to get in contact with you, obviously, we're going to have links to the app, links to the beta testing group. But if people want to talk to you, maybe pick your brain, maybe they have an idea, where's the best place they can get in contact with you? You know, I, I wish I could just say, you know, here's my Twitter, but I... You can. <laughs> really, well, the thing is, I, I don't actually use social media that much. And so it, I'm very old school. I would say just email me, Anique dot con at maxtewards.co is the best way to get in touch with me. And I answer all of my emails. So, so that's going to be the best way. New Year's resolution is to to be more socially active on social media. <laughs> or I should say more active on social media. Awesome. All right. Well, we'll link to that in the show notes. And I know you are on Twitter. I've seen you a little bit there. So we're going to link to that as well. Yeah. Well, that's the company one, the Max Stewards Co. So I would reckon that's, that's a good one as well. Yeah. Aria, Nick, I know that this conversation has been much more about the app and kind of 
entrepreneurship than necessarily traditional financial independence discussions. But if you had one tangible tip for someone, it could be entrepreneurial or financial independence related, what would that tangible tip be? Always kind of seek out new knowledge. One thing that I've kind of found is I thought I knew about entrepreneurship. I had a very good business background in school, worked in a large company, you know, advising big companies on on business. So I thought, you know, I really understood entrepreneurship and kind of in, in the process of doing it, there was just so much I learned that I didn't even know I didn't know. So I think constantly seeking out new sources of knowledge, you know, reading up on things. And, and when you don't know something, proactively reaching out to different people and asking them, you know, how did you do it? What would you recommend? And things like that. To really have a growth mindset in, in learning new things, it's going to do wonders because you never know enough. And then I think, you know, listening to podcasts like this, listening to, you know, reading to different types of books and articles and just being very proactive about that will, will help a lot. And so the last question of the podcast is always the wild card question. And we don't prepare for this. You don't prepare for this, but we're going to ask anyway. And so this is kind of a softball, but I'm more just curious because you said you've redeemed $20,000 or at least earned $20,000 worth of free travel. So what is the funnest slash craziest slash wildest redemption you've got? Like coolest place. It could be an excursion, just the best redemption you've ever used. Hmm. That's a good one. You know, I think I haven't done really crazy, crazy redemptions because most of my redemptions were actually just like doing family trips and like just personal international trips. So probably one, um, it wasn't really a redemption because so essentially I got this ticket to Berlin for my project. So that, and so Accenture paid for the economy class ticket to it. And so I called Delta and I said, this is like the day before. And I said, hey, how do I get a first class ticket? And they're like, well, you could use 25,000 points. I was like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll try it. You know, why not? And so I had, I had learned of a trick that I had used before and I wasn't sure if it was going to work out. But essentially, if you, if you do things, and this trick is gone, so you can't use it anymore, unfortunately. But if you call them within 24 hours of your flight, they make the adjustments on the, the person at the gate kind of makes the adjustments. The, the people at the call center don't have access to it anymore. And so what they put is like a note to say that, you know, like redeem Anik for 25,000 points and upgrade him to first class, right? And so I, I did that and I went and talked to the gate agent and he, he was like, you're on the top of the list because that's, that's what they can do is they can bump you on the wait list, but they can't actually upgrade you. And I guess he thought that I was just like a normal, like super diamond or whatever. And he just bumped me and they never took away those points. And so I got this first class trip to Europe without redeeming any points. And then I had done this actually for domestic flights a lot and ended up getting over 20 first class um, flights. Yeah. Unfortunately, the next year they, they, like, they found this out. And so I never, I mean, they, they never called me personally, but. I couldn't, I, I tried it again and it didn't work. And so that <laughs> one year I got all of this first class flights, even including to Europe, but then the next year was gone. So I was, I was kind of sad about it. So I would say that would be like a more unique one that most people probably don't have <laughs> $0 redemption for, or zero point redemption for a first class ticket. That's amazing. I am so glad I asked that. <laughs> that was a lot better than I expected. That's crazy. <laughs> 
Well, Nick, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for not only giving us, you know, all the updates on Max Rewards, but also that background that gives people, you know, the backstory of how you came to this point. And it's also really cool to hear that you took advice or input from somebody like me and incorporated it to the app. So it gives all the more reason why people should get out there and start beta testing this thing and, you know, use the five show code when they do so. Appreciate being here. This is a great honor. Justin, it was just so great to catch up with Anik because I don't know if a lot of people know, well, we mentioned it in the podcast, but we literally met Anik randomly at FinCon. Justin and I were just hanging out, chatting it up, and we see this guy who's sitting there at 2 a.m. working so diligently with two of his colleagues from Max Awards, and we're like, what is this guy doing? Justin and I are a little tipsy coming back from partying a little bit, and so we just sat down and chatted with him for like an hour, and we're like, wow, this guy is really passionate. I mean, he's up at 2 a.m. right now working on this product, just trying to perfect it. And Justin and I just really wanted to have him on the show and learn more about his life and what he's doing. Yeah, and you could tell that passion was paying off because FinCon is no joke. And when they have these competitions for like FinTech, as they call it, these new apps and products, it's stiff competition. And Anik actually won the FinCon competition for 2018. But Anik has been always kind of ahead of the curve. I mean, he started when he was 14 years old making money with websites. Like, who does that? And you have to know that those parents were like, what is Anik up to and where's he getting all this money from? Yeah, I mean, they probably thought he was some sort of crazy drug dealer or something making $19,000 building people websites when he's 14 years old. So that trend kind of followed him throughout his life. And even though he did have some failures, of course, like every entrepreneur, He's just been building and building on himself. And now he's been working on Max Rewards for, I think, a little over a year. So, I mean, this product is legit. And he's really a subject matter expert on this beyond just the technical side because he's had over $20,000 in cash, you know, points, miles that he's been able to redeem from all these different rewards. And this app is going to go beyond just saying, here's the best credit card you should get, which, I mean, it'll do that. But it's going to help you track and make sure that you squeeze every bit of the rewards out of that card once you actually do get it. But what the app does now is just the tip of the iceberg. And you can tell that these guys are going to be relentless and they're going to keep updating this thing. So keep watching out for the functionality. But Justin, do you think that... Whoa! What is it, Cody? I think it's the call to action, man. All righty. Well, we definitely got a good one for the listeners today because, as I mentioned, this app is just going to continue to grow functionality. But how does that happen? Well, we need some beta testers. So your call to action this week is to go to maxrewards.co, sign up for Max Rewards so you can get in as a beta tester, but make sure you mention the Fi Show when you sign up. Yeah, and I mean, this thing's just really exciting for me, Justin, because there aren't these great apps out there. Like you mentioned, there is a Ward Hacker, which helps you find cheap flights. I use that. There's a Ward Wallet to keep track of your points, but there's not this like all-inclusive titan in the industry right now. There just really isn't. And the fact that we can be a part of this and kind of shape what this looks like is just absolutely incredible. And so like you guys have probably figured out, Justin and I are just super into travel hacking. I mean, it's the most optimized way to travel. You can just save so much money. It's post-tax. There's just too many benefits. And if you want to check out some of the best travel hacking cards there are right now, you can visit thefyshow.com slash cards, and it will bring up a comprehensive list. And if you want anything specifically from today's show, any key takeaways, you can visit the show notes at thefyshow.com slash maxrewards. And as always, please leave us some ratings and reviews. It really helps us get some recognition and keep bringing on awesome guests. And if you don't want to miss that next episode, hit that subscribe button. Thanks so much for listening. See you on next week's episode of 
Defy Show. 